motto for Hendrix Gin is, no other gin tastes like Hendrix Gin because no other gin is made like Hendrix Gin. That sentiment could be true about anyone I interview, but it's especially apropos in regards to my guest today, Hendrix Gin UK Brand Ambassador. I'm Susan Schwartz, your drinking companion, and this is Lush Life Podcast. Every week, we are inspired to live life one cocktail at a time by everyone in this industry. Sasha Filimonov never set out to be in the hospitality industry. In fact, she was on track to having her dream job when the financial crisis changed all that. The journey to Hendrix Gin UK Brand Ambassador took many twists and turns until the day two of her passions collided her love of martinis, and of the world of Hendrix Gin. Today, she takes us down that path. Before we begin, you can find links on how to donate to some of your favorite bars or have cocktails delivered right to your door on the homepage of my website, alushlifemanual.com. Now, on to Sasha's story. Let's start where we usually begin. Can you tell me a little about where you grew up and... uh you know, your, your family and that kind of thing? Yeah. So I was born in New York and both my parents actually immigrated from the former Soviet Union to Brooklyn uh, with my respective grandmothers and kind of came over as teenagers. And then, you know, I was first generation American. What year did they come over? I don't remember the exact years that they came over, but I want to say early the decades, early 80s. 80s. Yeah. And yeah, so I was, you know, kind of born to immigrant parents and grew up speaking Russian at home and decidedly, you know, first generation American experience in that in that sense and, you know, eating Ukrainian food at home. And my mom was very adamant that I read, write and speak Russian, that that would be a valuable skill forever. Important I'm sure it is. Stay connected to my heritage. And then I went to an all-girls school in New York until I was about 12 years old when we moved over to London. So we came here. And I went was that to the, because of your uh, your parents' work? or Yes. So my, my stepdad was working in Moscow at the time, and my mom wasn't... Uh, super keen on us relocating all the way to Moscow because obviously that would have been a, quite a big dramatic change for my life and okay. so London was this happy medium it was a lot closer and I had some hesitations but the idea of going to a co-ed school I was pretty excited about so <laughs> so it was I think a wonderful wonderful gift I was given to be able to move over here and meet people from all over the world and, you know, travel around so much. And it was really lovely. So I went to the American school here, thus I never picked up any hint of a British accent. And so I sound like this. Yes, of course. (laughs) I'm interested in knowing what was, was was your family, were they, were they drinkers? Do they like any specific you know, thing in the house that you remember? I wouldn't say so much. I know that my mom actually used to be a manager of a bar restaurant when I was quite young. It was a place that, you know, you'd serve dinner and then at a certain hour, I think people were probably dancing on the tables. It was kind of a Soho institution. 
Um, I know my dad was quite a fan of dark rum. He is now big fan of gin, which is really nice. Surprise, surprise. Surprise, surprise. He's very supportive. But I think I was just always really, really interested in food and flavor. And so many of my childhood memories and so many of my memories are very, very connected to something that I tasted, something that I ate, something that I drank. And was quite obsessive about it and still am to this day. And I think that's probably where those seeds were planted about getting. Uh, was your mother making uh, Russian or Ukrainian food at home? My mom worked a lot. So she. Sorry, that yeah. was so sexist. Or your dad. Sorry. Or <laughs> no, your no, no, no. <laughs> um, I mean, my parents split when I was quite young. So there was lots of takeaways uh-huh. on my, with my dad. And then on with my mom, I mean, she was working so much. So usually it was the nanny. But, you know, I grew up eating mm-hmm. like chicken patties. Plimene um, are my favorite, which are sort of like little dumplings, meat filled dumplings. Um, you know, I had to eat my grandmother's would make me borscht. There's a little bit of that heritage. Yeah, yeah, yeah. for sure. <laughs> oh, my God. I, and I'm a lover of borscht. Yes, I understand. Um, did you, you know, what, what were your first experiences of, say, bartending or working in a bar? So I studied journalism. I kind of did my, not kind of, I did my undergraduate degree at the University of Miami in Florida in print journalism on the magazine track and also did photography. But when I graduated, that was the year that the U.S. economy collapsed. So that was 2009. Thus, I had this amazing job opportunity. I'd been interning at W Magazine, which was my absolute dream job. That's where I wanted to be. I loved interning there so much. And they offered me a part-time role. But unfortunately, because the economy collapsed, they Condé Nast went on a hiring freeze and they really weren't able to take anyone on, which I found oh. immensely disappointing. Oh, I'm sure. I'm sure super disappointing. <laughs> yes. But I thought, you know, how can I fill my time? So I started to look for bar jobs, which were really hard to come by with zero experience. Being the studious woman that I am, I applied to get into this bartending course at Columbia University. It was one semester long, and I did a bartending course at Columbia. <laughs> oh, no way. So you were in New York City, obviously, with, with Connie Nast, yes. and you stayed yes. there. So I, I was at University of Miami for the first three years of my undergrad and completed my degree there by taking classes my last year in New York because I had to go back. And then I was yeah based in New York and doing internships and trying to get a bar job. But even with the... I, I love that you went really high. Like I'm going to go <laughs> to not only a bartending class, but the Ivy League School of Bartending at Columbia. I'm ridiculous. Man. <laughs> so how, how long was it? It was just a semester, so probably. So a couple yeah. months. At least, probably more. And do you do you remember things from Barely. then that you still use? Barely. Oh no, no, I wouldn't say. <laughs> I've learned how to make lots of shooters, you know, American style ones with layering of very sweet ingredients and probably delicious, but not something that is particularly applicable in my role today. <laughs> I love that. 
that's what they taught at Columbia. Okay, we're going to teach you the shooters. Yeah. <laughs> hey, hey, some people, it's it's a good skill to yeah, have. Yeah, for I sure. Uh, definitely. Um, so did you, were you always thinking, I'm going to go back to journalism? You know, this is just a short time thing, this bartending thing? Yeah, I think what I ended up doing was traveling when I really couldn't get a gig. I did a few weeks of travel around Italy and Greece and met some people who had just been traveling around Australia. And they informed me that I could earn about 20 to $21 an hour bartending there. And that's, you know, jobs were available. So off I get my backpack and <laughs> over to Australia with the intention of bartending my way around the country, as well as trying to do some freelance travel journalism, because I was really passionate about that as well. But this was before Wi-Fi was free and readily available everywhere. It was quite slow and expensive, and I was in some pretty far-flung towns in Australia. So finding and getting freelance work was challenging and mm -hmm. bartending was paying well and I was really enjoying it so I focused on that <laughs> and lots of journaling. Yeah, I guess it was, I guess it was kind of pre-blog days which is funny to think about but it wasn't as if you could you know just set up a blog in 2009. I mean I, I mean I did. I know some people I did, did it but I did. You yeah, did. Yeah, yeah, I set up a blog. So that was by then it was 2010 2010 I headed over and I was there for about was traveling for about two and a half years. Oh, a long time. Yeah. And always bartending while you were traveling? As I much had some as you other could? odd jobs. Door-to-door, <laughs> -door, newspaper subscription sales, cleaning toilets. Um, worked at some trade shows, but primarily bartending, waitressing, so working in bars and restaurants, yeah. But still with an eye to be to to continue your journalism, right? Yeah, yeah. And once I kind of realized that maybe it's time to wrap up my travels, I came back to London and did my master's degree in journalism. Was there a specific um, part of journalism that you wanted to concentrate in, you know, news or lifestyle? I mean, did you want to go back to lifestyle after working at W? Yeah, I mean, I was really interested in food and drink journalism, so... I came back to study to really brush up on my digital journalism skills because I had done print and with a magazine track, obviously the world had changed significantly since then and it still continues and increasingly digital is so critical. So I then ended up getting a job at The Guardian, which I was there for about five years doing part-time work, night shifts on weekends. And... I wrote a letter to Imbibe magazine because I was really passionate about drinks and I obviously had a bit of journalism experience as well and there weren't that many titles that I felt I could really merge my two interests, passions and sets of skills together. And I just wrote them a very earnest letter saying that these are my skills, I would really love to come and do some work experience for you and so I did and that resulted in me getting a role there and I was there for about three and a half years. And what kind of things were you writing while you were there? So first when I was on the imbibe team I was 
working on you know drinks news pieces etc cetera, etc cetera. and then i launched a website for them called best bars which was more consumer facing and that meant that i was going to bars every night and writing them up and it was all about the best bars across the uk and yeah and did it fun. you you loved it you wanted to continue doing it yeah definitely Real, I was very and still am very passionate about the world of drinks and it was this amazing way to become more deeply connected to the drinks community here and learn more about the craft and hero all of the amazing hospitality individuals that I had the pleasure of, you know, having the graces of their hospitality. And yeah, I just became more and more passionate about it. And then once I moved from Best Bars back on to Imbibe to work on the show and the magazine once again, I started working more closely with brands and organizing events for them and organizing Imbibe Live, which is a really big trade show. And I realized how much I loved that side of things. And it, it was such a wonderful expression of creativity and I love organizing things as well. So it's this, this great juxtaposition of the drinks industry, output of creative energy and organizational skills. And I realized that that's something that I really adore. <laughs> and for someone who may be in your position, you know, a writer thinking, oh, I'd love to be a brand ambassador. It would be great to hear the uh, the steps that you took, you know, once you realize that that's what you love doing of how you managed to make it happen in such a huge role that you have now. I guess it, it was a very long process. You know, if you think about when I first decided I had an interest in drinks, which would have been, I mean, many, many years ago, I was very passionate about martinis, making them at home. To, you know, taking a course in New York to then bartending for a few years in Australia, then working at a drinks magazine for three and a half years. And then I worked for an American whiskey brand for a year and a half. And then I stepped into this role about two years ago. So it was a lot of years of learning different sides of the drinks industries. And I think that was a wonderful asset to be able to understand all the different pieces of the puzzle that make up this beautiful little drinks world in which we live but i would say that one of the key things was i was so in love with the hendrix brand before i even started i remember going to the departure lounge at tales of the cocktail in new orleans and it was a, a hendrix event and i was completely blown away i was totally enamored i thought what an incredible strange little world they've created and it was such a beautiful repayment of hospitality back to bartenders that I really enjoyed. And I love the fact that every touch point you could feel and experience the world of Hendrix, that it was so much more than just the delicious drinks, that it was this, you know, deeply woven story with lots of layers. So when I was, you know, it was uh, happenstance, wait, wait, wait. I bumped into Wait, hold on. Before we get to that, the Hendrix story, we skipped over yeah. just a teeny bit of when you said yeah. that you worked, you moved from Imbibe to a, a whiskey, to whiskey brand. brand. So yeah. um, that step from moving from a journalism um, 
uh, uh, career, I guess, or, 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 or job, you know, working at a, at a, a, a publication to then stepping into the role that you thought that you wanted to have as mm. a brand ambassador. Um, what was that like? What were the changes or the, the shifts in what you were doing? Um, a, a lot of changes. While I had moved from the editorial team at Imbibe to the commercial team, so I was working more directly with brands for the first time, rather than just attending and covering their events, I was curating events and cocktail competitions with the brands and coming up with creative solutions to engage with you know, the fabulous mm-hmm. bartenders. And that's where the spark really struck and I realized I would actually enjoy the brand side of things. And I really wanted to think about what brands I really loved. So it wasn't about, oh, I want to be a brand ambassador. I very much wanted to work somewhere where I really believed in the brand and I really loved it because I have to do things that I really believe in. And I think that I hope that comes across through my work, that it always comes from a place of truth, of passion, of honesty. And so when I think, you know, after spending years working with the trade and so many of my close friends, almost all of them work in the drinks industry, and my life is so deeply, deeply entrenched in this industry, you hear about roles popping up. And when I heard about one that really seemed to be a great fit for what I wanted as my next step. I threw my hat in the ring and was lucky enough to get it. So that was, that was, so you were working, (laughs) you were, you were working with the Brown spirits, which, you know, is a whole different story than, you know, the white spirits. Um, for for you to transition to the next to the role that you have mm. now, was it that you wanted to uh, work with a different spirit, or this was like, oh my god, it's Hendrix? I I I see that this is available. I got I got to go for this. It, it was oh my god, this is Hendrix. <laughs> I couldn't, and I again, I really didn't, I really didn't think of myself going into an ambassador position necessarily, even though I so deeply believe in advocacy and how important it is and what a strange yet beautiful job it is and these amazing lifelong memories that ambassadors build for people and the beautiful magic that they weave that connects you so emotionally to a brand, which is why it's such a a gift to be in this position. But the previous role was not an ambassador role, mind you. It was working with the on-trade as a kind of on-trade marketing. So again, I thought would perhaps be a little bit more entrenched in advocacy than in reality it was. But the brands were still you know, phenomenal and I have the utmost respect. But I think that I just had this deep excitement about the opportunity to potentially work for Hendrix because I was so, so enamored with the world and the brand. And then as soon as I joined, I realized it was even more incredible, deeper, more honest in its storytelling and 
very purposeful in everything that it does. And I just love all the strangeness. <laughs> well, I, I rudely interrupted you and made you go back a little, but you were saying that you were at the Tales uh, Departure Lounge yes. and you were just blown away. Tell me what blew you away again about it. So at, at, in, New, in New Orleans, I went to the right. Departure it, Lounge and it was just this perfect experience. I was really really shocked and amazed that every little detail, every little touch point had been considered. And I loved the fact that it was a journey from start to finish, from the time you picked up your ticket to when you arrived, you were ushered upstairs. You had so many different people that were guiding you through this experience. And then you come out feeling changed in this beautiful way and left with a really incredible impression. And it didn't feel like they just slapped something on and it looked pretty, but there was a reason behind every single thing. And they had, you know, a little gift box wall. They had back massages. They had people waving, you know, palm leaves at you. They had a multi-sensorial experience. I don't know how to explain it, but it's a meditative moment. Yeah. It was more about kind of being a bit, introverted for a moment and being very present and almost taking you into this incredible mindset. And it, it was just amazing. So you saw this, this, or, or this job listed or they, you know, how did you find, how did you find out about it? Through a conversation, uh-huh. I bumped, I was working from the edition hotel and I bumped into the global ambassador at the time and was having conversations and he said that you know he's in the process of looking for a Hendrix ambassador and I kind of raised my hand and said you know I'd be interested and he he seemed pretty shocked he didn't think that I'd want to throw my hat in the ring but I explained just how how much I loved the brand and it's not that I was actively looking for anything it was just the opportunity was too exciting to miss up (laughs) and once you got it Mm. Um, what was the process to learn everything about Hendrix um, to bring you up to speed? I think I was very lucky that on my second week in the role, I attended, we have a, a Hendrix ambassador workshop, which takes all of the Hendrix ambassadors from all over the world. We meet somewhere and we have a week together where we do hackathons we did a hypnotism workshop we do these amazing suppers we did a poetry club we did a turtleneck club we it was just an incredible onslaught of content and meeting all of the ambassadors some of whom have been in the role for eight years and know the dna so intensely I was just a, trying to be a sponge and understand the DNA of the brand as quickly as I could. And we were also very, very lucky that our master distiller, Leslie Gracie, came along as well and took us through a deconstructed tasting and talked through the nuances of the liquid. So I was very quickly able to hit the ground running because I understood what it meant to be a Hendrix ambassador. I had a great mentor who really championed 
my my creative visions, my ideas and what I wanted to do within the context of the Hendrix world. And it's very much a constantly evolving world. And the beautiful thing about being a Hendrix ambassador is that you can really make the role your own. So that's such a big part of being a Hendrix ambassador rather than just onboarding what the previous person did. It's about making it true to who you are. So it, yes, yeah, you know, it it's interesting quickly. that you say that because it's, I mean, this, uh, every brand is iconic, but Hendrix is, you know, such an iconic brand. I mean, there's no way that you can miss it on the shelf that from the bottle to the liquid, it really changed everything about what a gin and tonic is or how you even drink a gin and tonic. Um, there's so much history, even though it's so modern history, that um, I would I'm you know thrilled to hear that you know it is constantly evolving and that you know you do have leeway to put your stamp on it. And what do you feel in your role that you've been able to achieve since you've gotten there? I know it's a big question. I I, I actually. I feel like my head spins sometimes when I write down all the things that I've been lucky enough to do since I started the role and that I've been given the authority and the creative authority to make my visions a reality. And I think that's why, again, I'm so happy in my role. But I had this little concept called Teeny Martini, which in my interview, I did a presentation on the journey of the martini and made everyone a little teeny martini because I collect miniature glassware and I've just been obsessed with miniature glassware for years. And then came up with this concept to make it a thing that lives and breathes in many various guises from you know more than just the glass, but big experiential events, smaller bar takeovers, and just heroing this drink that actually was the one that brought me into the world of drinks that's has such an iconic cocktail has so much legend and lore and examples in literature and in film and to see that come to life and I got to do it in a way that was the most it was so it was so my vision it was so exciting to be able to have all these crazy ideas and then make it happen and seeing the delight on people's faces and seeing bartenders as well as consumers, as well as journalists all get it and connect to it felt like the biggest <laughs> exciting, the most exciting thing ever. I just couldn't believe that everyone got it and liked it and it, it, gave so much joy. I'd, I mean, I hysterically cried the last night that we wrapped it on when we launched it, London Cocktail Week in 2018. It was the same week we opened the doors to the new Gin Palace as well. So it was a big week. <laughs> but to see it constantly evolving and to see more and more bars that I thought, God, will they ever, they, they, would, they would never, they would never say yes to doing this. They would, oh no. They, and just everyone has been so warm and accepting of this little strange idea. And I feel like it's only just starting. There's still loads more I would like to do with it. So that's been an amazing thing to see grow and evolve. And once we're out of this 
C word, as I call it. Um, are you, you know, I'm sure you're homeworking and planning on the next thing to happen within Hendrix. Um, are mm. you allowed to chat about that at all? No, probably not. <laughs> I kind of love- it's so rapidly evolving, to be honest. I mean, we had, you know, I write very elaborate, ambitious plans for every year, which often to the detriment of my free time and mental health because <laughs> I am very ambitious and I have a huge amount of energy. So I always know I can get things done, but I, I'm, I'm a more is more person. So I have a billion ideas and, you know, I just want to hit the ground running and get, get going, 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 going. But it's hard to say what I'll be able to do out of the back of this because who knows what that's going to look like because I love creating amazing magical experiences and, you know, taking people on these strange, peculiar journeys. And well, you know, I, we'll I, have I to see how I exactly. do that. <laughs> I, I like that answer because it means people have to check back with you and have to keep checking oh, yes. what Hendrix is. So yeah, I, I guess until the next time we meet, all right, they'll have to come back. Yep. All right. Well, thank you. <laughs> There'll be lots of stuff. <laughs> good, good. I can't wait. Let me tell you, I can't wait. So um, I really appreciate you being on the show. And thank you so much. Oh, amazing. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. Of course, I couldn't leave Sasha without asking her advice for the home bartender and where she would love to be drinking right now. So my top suggestion, and I think it's a really simple one is to put a bottle of gin in the freezer as well as two glasses because that means that when you need an emergency martini you're about 30 seconds away from one it's absolutely brilliant you can pre-dilute it a little bit if you want not too much otherwise it'll freeze and put you know a little vermouth in there or just freeze the gin and if you like your martinis very very naked like I do, you could do a little vermouth rinse on your frozen glass or a little vermouth spritz, and then away you go. Now, I drink my martinis out of a teeny martini glass, so it's a pretty responsible measure, I'd say. <laughs> if you could drink anywhere right now, where would you drink? Well, I've been working on a little Hendrix journey in the past two days and it's got me thinking about our gin palace and I was actually doing a little pretend cocktail tutorial from the Hendrix bar in the gin palace and I just miss the the magic and the mayhem that we create in that strange beautiful place in Girvan and it's very much our version of Willy Wonka's Chocolate Factory. It's so clearly a place that has been built out of the heart and the passion of our master distiller, Leslie Gracie, and of our ambassadors, because every little touch point in there has a purpose and has a reason, and it's all really an homage to Leslie. But there's something about bringing bartenders to that bar and running a little bit of a muck and seeing the spark in everyone's eyes as they fully are immersed in the strangeness of my 
world and my brain. <laughs> it's it's something that I miss bringing that magic to life with with people in real life. <laughs> we will get there soon enough. I know it. Yes. Thanks so much to Sasha for being on the show. I can't wait to get up to see the gin palace for myself. I'm now taking my bottle of Hendrix gin out of the freezer. So I'm ready for my teeny martini, which of course had to be my cocktail of the week. Sasha's love of miniature glassware was the inspiration that led her to create the teeny martini. My love of martinis was the inspiration for me making my cocktail of the week, the teeny martini. You'll need only Hendrix gin and vermouth, plus a small slice of cucumber. Begin by spraying a chilled teeny martini glass with four mils of dry vermouth, or pour in four mils and give it a rinse. Then add 30 mils of Hendrix gin to a mixing glass with ice. Stir it down until chilled, then strain into your teeny martini glass and garnish with a slice of cucumber. You'll find this recipe, the recipe for making a bigger Hendrix martini, more martini recipes, plus all the cocktails of the week at alushlifemanual.com, as well as links to all the ingredients. Although I'm on a diet, that hasn't stopped me from trying recipes out of the tons of cookbooks that have been gathering dust pre-COVID. Right now, my favorite recipe is the Easy Grilled Chicken from Burma Rivers of Flavor by Naomi Duguid. It's a mix of garlic, turmeric, ginger, cayenne, and fish sauce. And, of course, it goes really nicely with the Hendrix Gin Basil Smash. If you live for Lush Life, make sure you're giving back to the bars you love by donating or taking part in cocktail delivery where you live. Theme music for Lush Life is by Stephen Shapiro and used with permission. And Lush Life is always and will be forever produced by Evo Terra and Simpler Media Productions. Which leads me to say the wise words of Oscar Wilde, all things in moderation, including moderation. And always drink responsibly and wash your hands and stay safe. Next week, we discover what position could possibly drag our guests back to the UK after years of working in the Antipodes. Until that time, bottoms up.